Hi, this is Lily Park. I serve on faculty at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas.、Um, I appreciate BCC for many reasons, but one of them is the relationships with、uh, men and women who represent various churches and organizations and academic institutions that are like-minded in promoting the mission of biblical counseling and. Um, we sharpen each other based on the authority and sufficiency of Scripture, and I also appreciate BCC's free resources for the public. Welcome to Fifteen Fourteen, a podcast of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. Fifteen Fourteen draws its name from Romans Fifteen Fourteen, where the Apostle Paul encourages the church that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to counsel one another. I'm your host and the executive director of the BCC, Dr. Curtis Solomon, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Fifteen Fourteen. We are really thankful to have you as part of our audience. We're in the midst of our year-end giving campaign, and I want to encourage you if you've been blessed by Fifteen Fourteen or some other aspect of the Biblical Counseling Coalition's ministry to sp- send a special year-end gift to support the ongoing work of the BCC. We are focused around building unity in the biblical counseling movement. We do that through relationships,、uh, but also sharing resources, promoting other ministries and biblical counselors, and trying to connect the world. Of Biblical counseling. If you are encouraged by that and passionate by that, please support us with a special year-end gift. We have a special opportunity this year with some generous donations from others to do a matching gift. So if you're a first-time giver in the month of December,、uh, your gift will be matched. So please、uh, pray about that, consider that, and send us a special gift. Today's interview is one that I did with Adrian Martinez, who is a BCC Council member, and Adrian is from the states, but he's been ministering in. In Australia for the last 15 years, he's on the board for Biblical Counseling Australia, and he's recently taken on a position as a professor and leading the counseling ministry at a college in Sydney. We had a great time getting to know him through our getting to know you questions, just hearing about his upbringing, his testimony, how he got into biblical counseling, and some insights that he's learned through the years of biblical counseling. I pray that it's really encouraging to you,、uh, spurs you on to continue the ministry that God has called you to do. Thanks so much for listening. Well, Adrian, would you mind introducing yourself to our audience? Hello, my name is Adrian Martinez, and I'm、uh, ministering down under in、uh, Melbourne and Sydney, Australia. So, tell us a little bit about your family and, and what you're doing right now in ministry. All right. Well, my、uh, my wife,、um, uh, you can hear from the accent. I'm originally from the states, but my wife, I met her in the states.、Uh, she's Australian, and she, 15 years ago, brought me over to. To Australia, and we've been here ever since. I've got five children, and、uh, they're ages seven to fifteen.、Uh, and、uh, right now in ministry, I'm I've got a few hats on, but、uh, primarily I'm working as the head of counseling at a Bible college in Sydney, called Australian College of Christian Study. And through that, we're working with the Center of Biblical Counseling, and I'm also on the board for a national biblical counseling body called Biblical Counseling Australia. Well, that's fantastic. Well, thanks for wearing those multiple hats, and I know it's awfully late for you there. So, thanks for taking the time out of your your busy schedule to to let us get to know you a little bit. So, tell us a little bit about、uh, growing up. As you mentioned, you grew up here in the states, but where did you grow up, and what were you like as a kid? Yeah, so I grew up. I'm I'm a,、um, a SoCal boy, Southern California, and、um, raised、uh, in an unbelieving home.、Um, parents aren't Christians, and we.、Uh, 
basically, I was a I was the typical bad kid, and late in my teens, became a Christian. Uh, got friends, became Christians, brought me to church, and uh, after a lot of debate and argument, I um, started reading the Bible and, and saw the truth um, and converted. Um, became a Christian, went to Bible college, went to a very nominal Bible college, and there became re- very reformed in my thinking. Uh, my theology was sharpened because I, I, I was challenged not to think the way that they were teaching. I, I, they, they were going against the word, uh, and a lot of liberal theology was being taught, and I thought, that's not quite right. And I started changing along, as I started you know, reading the, the contrasting views, I started changing and um, became reformed in the midst of, of that. Sometimes I well, yeah. Sometimes I tell people I got I got a bachelor's degree in heresy. That's not fair, <laughs> but it was it, it was challenging at times. Um, but then, in the midst of all that, I had such a strong discipleship ministry. Um, when I decided to go to my graduate studies and, and um, go to another Bible college, um, I I I had my friends actually pulled me aside and said, "Adrian, we don't think you should go into the Bible college. We don't think you should go become a preacher." Um, we think that your giftedness is so is so directed towards discipleship ministries that we, we you we should you should be a psychologist. You should go, you know, do mental health. And I, you know, this is before I, I ever heard of biblical counseling, um, and I was quite open to it because I did like that type of ministry, that type of of interaction. But I remember as a young believer, I, I had come out of the world and I had changed so much and transitioned so much from just the, the worldliness, the weird stuff that I was into before I was a Christian. And, and, um, God had brought me along through so much that, um, I, I said to the group and that, that group was my friends, my pastors, um, I said, you know what, that might be good for me to do down the road, but all the major transformations that have happened in my life have come from learning, studying and submitting to the word of God. And so before I go there, I really need to uh, get grounded in the Bible, and I'd like to go to a really good college to for that challenge. So I went down to Southern California. I went to the Master's Seminary in college to get my um, my Master of Divinity, and it was there that I heard of this strange thing called biblical counseling, and started taking that as my electives, and I was just hooked and got my Master's of Biblical Counseling there as well. Oh, that's that's great. <clears throat> You, you you raced through all my early quest, early life questions, so I'm going to back you up a little bit uh, and and tell us. You grew up in a an unbelieving family. Did you have siblings? Were you an only child? What was what was what was your home life? Yeah, like? I was the oldest of three, and um, my my sister was very close uh, in age to me, and then my my brother was ten years younger. My um, sister, once I started going to church, my sister did join me, and she is a believer, um, but we're we're the only ones in the family at this point. And um, she uh, she's married and has a Christian. She has a family and it's wonderful. Um, my family they they weren't um, they weren't antagonistic to the gospel. Um, they just didn't want to believe it was nominal um, at best. And um, and I just uh, I was just um, it, I was just very uh, rebellious as a child, um, loud and rebellious, and had lots of family issues, lots of. Uh, um, uh, interpersonal issues, um, lots of school issues. <laughs> um, when I graduated high school, my, um, 
uh, one of my teachers actually told my parents to pull pull me out because I'm never going to finish. And um, and he was probably right. But it was shortly after that point I became a Christian and started wanting to study Bible and study the Word. And you know, like three master degrees later and a PhD, my, my wife's like, "Are you ever going to stop?" <laughs> <laughs> You're just making up for all that time early in life where you didn't <laughs> like school Pretty by much. making it all up now. So that's great. So how old were you roughly when when the Lord started drawing you to Himself? I think um, it, about 16 when I started thinking about it, but it wasn't until I was 19 that I made a real profession of faith. I was confronted, uh, I went to a conference and I was confronted actually by um, a well-known writer, James Sire, who um, was preaching. I had a conversation with him and that was actually a, 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 a turning point for me. I was just challenged to really live by faith. And when I came back from that conference, um, I, I just had a, a new passion for the church and to love people because I was very incredibly selfish before that. And um, I just wanted to live my life the way I wanted to. And then when I came back from that conference, from that um, encounter, I um, I wanted to live for the Lord and I wanted to everything to be for him. And I let go of a lot of sin and a lot of things that were in my life. And um, instead of being the guy who went to church on Friday and Sunday, I was the guy who was a, who was a Christian 24 hmm. seven. And, yeah. and that was a, a great turning point for me. Yeah. You mentioned some friends or um, other people who are involved in that process of, of introducing you to Christ and bringing them along the way. Were those, were they peers? Was it a pastor, youth pastor? Like who, who, who did the Lord use in your life to bring you to him? Yes. Uh, initially some friends, um, uh, one of my friends who I think um, he, he, he was, uh, I thought highly of him because he could drink beer faster than anybody I knew. <laughs> <laughs> something to, to be proud of definitely be, yeah. yeah something to be proud of and then he became a christian thought what a crazy guy and so i i went to his church to to, to show him how stupid he was <laughs> and um and then it was there i started attending uh their youth group for for a couple of years actually um arguing and and uh, debating and uh what kept me coming back was not necessarily i wasn't a believer yet but it was the only place in my life, this, this little church, um, this little Baptist church that I was attending, it was the only place in my life as uh, an unbeliever and in a bad living situation, bad family situation, bad, you know, friends and all that, where people were nice to me, where I, for no reason, the adults that were there who were working with us were actually, you know, kind and were genuinely you know just nice it was just a nice place to be and uh, i was i was the kid where they said you know open up to john 316 or or some passage and i turned to page 316 thinking i'd find john 316 i really did that you know and um they they were very gracious to me and uh just slowly but surely uh there was a turning in my life yeah, well, that's a great great testimony for for all of us to be reminded of just how uh our love for one another and the love of Christ shining through us is what will draw people to himself. So, uh, well, that's great. So you went to, you went to Bible college and then on to, uh, masters. When, when did you meet this wife who stole you away from the United States down to Australia? Well, um, it was in the middle of, while I was at that Bible college in, in Los Angeles, 
Uh, we were at the same church, and um, she it, uh, would have been, I don't know, 2000 something. Um, she, it was about two years before I graduated, we met, and she was just about to come back home to Australia when we met, got married. And um, I told her when we, when we got married, um, don't ever ask me to move to Australia because I have no <laughs> desire to live there. I have no desire to be in Australia. And to be fair, she never asked me. She never did. But she did pray. <laughs> she's like well i can't time, ask him but the holy spirit can so there you go exactly right and and in, in time um opportunity opened up for me to uh become a missionary uh to england and uh the, with the masters uh, with, the, uh, with the church with the bible college of that after i graduated there was a group going to england and it was kind of a scouting mission trip to promote the school and get plugged into maybe a church as a pastor. And as we were, we had just had our first child at that point. And as we were looking to move that direction, and I was very excited, my wife and I were very excited to, to move to England. Um, all the reasons we had to go there applied to Australia. And after my wife had a child, I realized how um, connected she was to her very godly family. And uh, it was just a no brainer. It was like, why are we going here? Let's just easier to go to Australia and, I've uh, never read it. Yeah, that's great. Well, we've we've done interviews before with you and with uh, others on, on Biblical Counseling Australia, so we'll link to those in our show notes. Um, and this is, like I said before, getting to know you a little bit more. Um, and we'll have to have you on the show again, too, to talk talk about the school down in Sydney and, and hear about that uh, at some point. Um but you you mentioned finding out about biblical counseling. This the you were involved in discipleship ministry in the college. People were pointing you to go study psychology. Uh, tell us a little bit about what that looked like when you were in college. What did discipleship ministry look like for you as a as a college student? Well, when I was in when I was in college, when I was in uni, um, uh, the I was an RA. So I had I was an RA, a residential advisor on campus um, for a lot of the students, and I was also in my last year a youth pastor, um, and had a lot of interns. So I, there was a lot of really in those in those roles. I had a lot of relational mission ministries, um, a lot of discipleship, just interacting with people one on one, and um, that was really the the strength of my ministry. Um, I was far better discipler and mentor to people than I was a teacher or preacher. So I, I was I was capitalizing on that strength, and um, yeah, that was that was part of the reason that my friends uh, were were encouraging me to just keep doing that um, because that was just my strength in it. Yeah, but it was just it was yeah. just knowing getting to know people. And then when you went to masters, were you expect? I mean, I guess you weren't expecting to study biblical counseling there because you didn't even know about it. Uh, but <clears throat> when did you find out about that in the process, and and what? Like what snagged you? What hooked you to say this is what I want to study? This is what I want to do. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I just went there for the the regular um, MDiv program, and uh, it was in that first year I had heard of it. You know, it was the first time I ever heard of it of biblical counseling, and uh, it just hooked me. I'm like, you know, so how how the you know it was what I was doing already. And it was just, I didn't know there was a name for it. You know, it's like, you're applying the word <laughs> to people's lives yeah. to help them, yep. to, you know, and transform. I'm like, hey, I want to do that. I want, that's what I do. I want more of that. Um, I, I remember I went to, um, I had a, a, a interaction with uh, with John Street, who is the, the director of that program at Masters. 
Um, and uh, in that conversation, he highlighted, um, you know, he highlighted the, the, the importance of the, the counseling role in the life of a pastor. And uh, I think one of the things he said, you know, you know, you're going to learn how to exegete the word in, in, at the college, you're at, uh, you know, at, at, through the MDiv program, but we're going to emphasize focusing on how, how to exegete the heart in counseling. Uh, if you do the MBC, uh, the MABC. And um, like I said, I was hooked, you know, I, I, I took it as an elective at first just to taste it. And I just thought this is where I want to be. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so since then you've, so you did an MDiv, do you, and you, you did the MABC as well? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, you have been making up all that education. Yeah. Making up for the lost time early on in life. Um, <clears throat> and you're, you're finishing up a PhD at Midwestern now. I already promised I won't ask you a lot of questions about that, but, uh, uh, that's great. Exciting to, to have more people studying and, and furthering. And I think it's a good, good example that we should be lifelong learners, whether it's in academia or not, we should continue to grow. Um, well, tell, tell us a little bit about some of the challenges you face in biblical counseling. When you practice caring for people, what are the things that you find most challenging or hardest Right now or early on? Yes, just both. I think early on, and this was a big part of of um, of my of my my master's thesis. My um, I think the I think learning to um, learning to to be vulnerable, learning to love, learning to put your your counseling, like learning to, to mourn with those who mourn, and and. Uh, be a true brother or, you know, or sister in the Lord, when you're talking to somebody that, that was, um, that was important for me in my early years of ministry, um, in just dying to self. I think, um, you know, going to, um, first Timothy one fifteen. I used to think Paul was this incredibly humble man. He was the, the, the lowest of the low. He was the chief of all sinners. And then, um, rereading that and realizing he was actually saying, this is a trustworthy statement. This is something that all of us, this is the mindset that all of us need to have about ourselves um, in, as we interact with others, that the whole, the whole grace that we've received through the gospel is a, should be a motivator for us in sharing the gospel and, and not to look down and not to, um, and not to look down or, or, you know, when, when you're interacting with somebody who's, who's struggling you don't say, Oh, that's weird. <laughs> but <laughs> which, yeah. you know, or, you know, and, and, um, and you identify like, you know, I don't, I may not have, I've, ne- I've never committed adultery. I've never murdered anybody. I've never done any of those um, more, more um, complicated and, and um, impactful, sinful behaviors by God's grace. But truthfully, you know, the root issues that led that person that I'm counseling to those issues are in my heart or here. I'm dealing with the same thing. I just, by God's grace, have not gone down that pathway. And so with that mindset, that's, that's been, um, that was a very, that was important for me to take on when I, in the early years of counseling, I think a lot of counselors new, new to regular counseling at that level might find that difficult. Yeah, definitely, definitely is working with a lot of undergrad students. um, It can be challenging sometimes. There's a, I mean, all the way to the extreme of like a pharisaical mindset 
but backing away from that, just even this self-righteousness or a pride or I could never do that kind of mentality. Um, and, and then just continuing to grow in, in humility and loving the other person rather than a coming above them to drag them out of something, coming alongside them and walking them through. So yeah, I can, I can see how that would be challenged, but you're also going to share what's more recently, uh, some of the hard things in counseling. I think, um, I think now probably the harder things in counseling is, um, to stay in the moment. Um, I have, you know, when, when life is quite busy and, um, you have a lot of things going on, which I'm, I know everybody is busy and everyone has a lot going on. Um, a lot of different roles, a lot of different tasks, a lot of different responsibilities. It's easy to, um, to go into autopilot when you're doing ministry. It's easy to, you know, you preach a sermon. It's, you know, next week you got another sermon to preach. You got another sermon to preach and you kind of follow a, a routine, which is helpful, but can also cause, um, it, you can lose your spark in that. And then in the counseling role, um, you know, I can't tell you how many people I've counseled with a particular issue. Right. And they come and another guy comes through the door with the same issue. And it's, it's too easy for me to just kind of go, all right, autopilot. I know what to do with this guy and not really listen and not really be there with him. And, and I think that that cheapens that, that process, you know? Um, and so um, simply being humble to, to accept the, the moment that the Lord's given me this opportunity to, um, to, you know, walk with this, this individual during this difficult time. That's, that's something that I, I need to remind myself with, especially when I'm busy. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good reminder for all of us. And I think it's, it's a common, common pitfall that counselors who've been counseling for a long time will fall into. And it's, to me, a difficult we don't want to ignore the wisdom that we've learned along the way. Right. And we, we, we do recognize that there are patterns often in people's lives, but if we, we over rely on that, then we skip the, like you said, listening and and getting to know that person. Uh, So yeah, thanks for, thanks for sharing that. Uh, Without violating any kind of confidentiality or anything like that, would you mind sharing maybe uh, a misstep or a mistake that you've made in counseling, something that reminds all of us that we're human and, and make mistakes and need to rely on the grace of Jesus. Yeah. Well, where do I start? Um, <laughs> do you just pick one? First one comes to mind. No. <laughs> just pick one. Um, <clears throat> I think, I think there was, um, I think, um, there was one time I've used this example many times in my, my teaching. Um, there was one time I had counseled somebody, this is a while ago, but there was this guy I counseled, uh, he had a pornography issue, no problem whatsoever. I was able to like, you know, two or three months, it was just a incredible transformation. I, at the end of that, I patted myself on the back and went, Oh, wow. What a great, what a great counselor you are, Adrian. Um, couple months later, another guy comes in. And this is an example of what I was saying earlier. Another guy comes in, almost exactly the same issue. And I'm thinking, I, I know what to do. <laughs> you know. And I gave him the same, the same homework, said the same things, gave him the same direction. Nothing, nothing would change. 
you know, and he, it was, I started becoming really frustrated in that process with him. And, um, it wasn't until probably a couple months longer than it should have been my fault. Um, I started asking him some deeper questions about what was going on in his life and, uh, realizing that the, the issue was not so much the pornography that was, you know, the presentation problem is the problem until you realize what the real problem is, something underneath. There's a, there was a lust issue, but what was really happening was that there was an anger issue with his wife and it was a reaction to the, to the um, conflict that he was having with his wife uh, within a period of time. He would then, you know, uh, essentially sin in that way by looking at pornography rather than, so, so there was a complicating factor that, I had not really ever considered because, you know, I know better. I know what to do. It's yeah. the same issue as the last <clears throat> one, one so more that, porn that problem, was, right? Yeah. yeah. And so that's an example of how it's too easy for us to just go into this autopilot mode and just go, yeah, I, I know what to do. You know, you really got to listen. Everybody's individual. You know, every the, there's nothing new under the sun, but everybody's an individual and everyone has a different story. And, and our responsibility yeah. is to really listen and care for them um, to identify those issues. And so I, that's that's an example where I probably um, frustrated him and was frustrated myself because uh, I wasn't really listening. Yeah. No, well, that's that's a, a great example. And, and like you said, it highlights the, the one of the challenges that we can face as, as biblical counselors. So on the flip side, what, what are some of your favorite things about counseling? What keeps you coming back to this work that God's called you to do? I think I, I, I remember one, um, one of my old professors said, you know, we asked him, you know, you, you know, you're, you're a professor of counseling. You should have, you know, a really high success rate. What's your success rate? <laughs> and very wisely, he didn't answer. <laughs> He didn't answer. He uh, he said probably not as high as you think, um, but he said this, and and this has stuck with me for the couple decades now. Um, he said, "The Lord has given me enough success to keep going, but not enough to make me proud." And I have felt that many times in in ministry um, through counseling. You know, I it, it's it's an amazing feeling when you really truly help somebody. Um, point you you help them understand their situation through the word. Um, you see the Lord working in tremendous ways. It's a, it's an incredible privilege to be part of that. And that really keeps me going and is exciting. Um, and it, those are the peaks in between some, sometimes some really long and dark valleys where like, Oh, is this, what am I doing? <laughs> and that's, that's, that's something that, you know, the Lord's working on me as well through that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a helpful way of putting it in a good, in a good reminder too. Uh, I think the most common answer I get to that question is being able to kind of be in the front row seat of watching God change people. Um, but <laughs> it's a, it doesn't always happen. Uh, not every single person is, is cooperating with the spirit or as somebody else once pointed out to me, maybe this is not the time that the Lord is choosing to, uh, bring them to sanctification or salvation, depending on where they are spiritually. And we can't, we can't thwart his, his plans either. So yeah, it's a good, <clears throat> good reminder. And, and uh, yeah, good, good thing to keep us, keep us humble and moving forward. Um, Interesting. I mean, totally 
kind of rabbit trail a little bit. Have you found this? Because this is something I've, I've found personally too. That it's all it's the the failures, quote unquote, are the ones that don't continue, or, or you know, you don't see progress, you don't see transformation, you don't see growth um, that stick in your mind more than the successes. Do you think that, I mean, is that your experience or am I just, is that just a, a me thing? No, I think that, I think we're all like, uh, we're, we're all wired to look at the, the inadequacies and the difficulties and the, the, the hard parts of uh, what we do um, more than the, the successes. Um, but I think that that's also partly, um, that partly is because I think it, it, in that within, we want to be better. We want to do this right. And we see the weaknesses, we see the problems, we see the, the, the challenges. And we want to address that because we don't want those there. We want, you know, this is something the Lord's allowed. These, these weaknesses, these, these deficiencies, something the Lord's allowed in our, in our own character um, for the purpose of, of being redeemed, being transformed, and working on ourselves. So yeah, I, I think we are wired that way, but I don't think that's a, necessarily a bad thing. But uh, I think uh, uh, one of the a Puritan um, holy discontentment—it's <laughs> a—it's a holy discontentment, which is a good thing. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think it's uh, it can be a good. I think our response to it too uh, will indicate what like it is a good thing in the sense, like you said, holy discontentment there um, that we should what's not right in this world should stand out to us and, and give us a longing for things to be made right and to be made better. Um, and we're probably going to learn better from those lessons as well, but it's also important that we not be overwhelmed or discouraged, that kind of thing. So, um, <clears throat> or prevented from, cause it could also be a tool in the, in the hand of the enemy to discourage, to, to keep us away from doing the work that God's called us to do. Um, yeah, I think it's a, a great, encouragement to have other counselors, other believers in your life who can remind, keep, you know, just like we are hopefully doing for others, re- remind us of the truth and keep us on the, on the path. So, well, thanks. Thanks for going down that rabbit trail with me a little bit. Um, so one, one piece of advice, um, I'm sure you could, you're a, you're a professor, you could give lots of advice, uh, but one piece of advice that stands out to you that you'd like to pass on to our audience. Come to Australia. <laughs> permanently or for a visit that's <laughs> I mean, for a visit if you're a biblical counselor come come move here we need help <laughs> there you go there you go there's a there's a call I, I think um one bit of advice for for um for those who are interested in biblical counseling um goodness i think i think understanding um the pathway, uh, understanding your own pathway to change deeply so that um, you can help others. All, all the, the transformation that I help other people do, it, it comes from what God's done in my life. You can't take somebody somewhere you haven't already been. Um, so I, I, you know, become very um, introspective in the reasons you do what you do asking yourself those questions, um, focus on your own personal holiness. So that not, not for, not because you want to be this great pillar of, of light and wisdom, but 
because you need work is just like everybody else. <laughs> and, um, and though the, the structure that you, you know, the, what you learn and how to, how to help yourself or how the Lord helps you through the word and through transformation becomes the blueprint of how you help other people and the means in which you are leading others. And essentially it's, it's just that simple. You can't take somebody somewhere you haven't already gone. Um, I lamented, I mentioned earlier that my, um, my early walk, my, my, my early years were not in the Lord at all. I was a real wild child and I was, um, I had a lot of things. If you met me 25 years ago, you could not believe I'd be doing what I'm doing now. And the first five years of my Christian walk, you would probably not even think I'm a Christian. <laughs> Some of the things that I was, you know, where, where I was coming from. A lot of transformation occurred. And I was, I, I used to really regret that. I used to lament, like, Lord, why didn't I not grow up in a Christian home? Why did I not, you know, why did I have to, why do I have to deal with all this stuff that all these other people didn't have, don't have to deal with in the church? And, um, and I had to really work on myself and transform. And, and that has become the cornerstone of a lot of my ministry when I, I'm helping people, you know, and they're struggling with, all sorts of strange things. They're like, oh, you have no idea what it's like. I think, you know what? I, I don't know what that's like, but I have an idea of, of, of the struggle and the frustrations that you're going through. Um, I think that's a, an incredible resource that you have, all of us have, that we need to utilize in the ministry that we do. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you for, for sharing that. Uh, and we're down to the very end of our time together, which I, we do a segment called Two Minute Favorites. And I know you've done this before, but we're going to do it again. And uh, I always think it's interesting to see if people have the same favorites or not. Um, and so are you ready? You ready for this? Go for it. All right. Let me start the timer. And here we go. What What is your favorite food? Pizza. Favorite sport? I love jujitsu. Favorite sports team? Uh, the, the Hawks. Hawthorne Hawks. Favorite color? Purple. Favorite gift you've ever received? Mm, um, a holiday. Somebody gave me a holiday. My family. Favorite gift you've ever given? Um, that we, we moved to Australia. <laughs> that was a gift. <laughs> my wife, my, my wife's family. You, thank uh, you. Favorite word? I think I, the anthropomorphic. Still my favorite word. All right. Least favorite word? Um, literally. Favorite candy? Um, chocolate flake. Favorite book of the Bible? Corinthians, Second Corinthians. Favorite book outside of Scripture? Reformed Pastor by uh, Richard Baxter. Favorite Bible verse? Gosh, it's changing. Um, say Second Corinthians six eleven to thirteen. Favorite movie? I don't know. <laughs> if you could choose any, 
If you could choose any superpower, what superpower would you choose? Not sleeping. <laughs> Favorite animal? Gorilla. If your mother were to describe you in one word, what word would she use? <laughs> um, terrible. All right. Well, brother, thank you so much. That wraps up our our two-minute favorites and wraps up our time together. Thanks so much for uh, all that you're doing in Australia. Thanks for being a part of the BCC Council, and, and uh, thanks for being with us on 1514 today. Thank you for listening to today's episode of 1514. If you'd like to find out more about the Biblical Counseling Coalition, you can visit our website at biblicalcc.org. Special thanks to our podcast engineer, James Wills, who does all the post-production editing to make this podcast sound so wonderful. Also want to thank my assistant, Carrie Felton, for helping to arrange these interviews. And a special thanks to Andrew Riddell, who composed and recorded the music we use on 1514. I hope you have a wonderful day.